You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Hello and welcome back into The Airing Cupboard. Long time no see, or long time no hear, I should say. And gosh, I have missed it. I've missed you. Life and work have been busy and I have been rather slack at finding the time needed to immerse myself into your stories. And most importantly, to do them justice. For that reason, and some of you might be aware of this already if you follow the Erin Cupboard on social media, I started a new little podcast out of my cupboard. Again, it is a non-commercial project, just for pure pleasure. It is called Moments by the Airing Cupboard. I have been collecting your voices, you, the listeners, and your moments of happiness. These are very short little episodes, five or six minutes maximum, just short enough for me to produce when I am on the train to or back from London. And producing them makes me happy because I bask in your voices and I spend some time with you through my headphones. You can listen to Moments by the Airing Cupboard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or just search for the Airing Cupboard and it should pop up in its yellow logo. I will put a little taster right at the end of this episode. Let me know what you think, or even better, if you feel brave, share a moment with me. Here in the UK, autumn is upon us. I rather like autumn with its crisp mornings and its long shadows, its spider webs, its smells, its sounds, its colors, and it allows me to revert to my usual uniform of jeans, boots, and woolen jerseys. It's also the season when I am constantly reminded that after 25 years in Anglophone countries, there are words that I still cannot pronounce, like the blooming squirrel, as I watch him jump from branch to branch, stealing all my nuts. Anyway, enough rumblings about moments and squirrels. I have gone back into my cupboard to voice a little story for you. The reason is, I have recently dreamt that I was riding a sheep. It was a very big sheep indeed, and also very clever and kind. And it reminded me of this little story that I had in my stockpile from sunny Belgium. So here it is. For your little ears. Anne grew up in the 70s and 80s in a small village in the countryside some 30 kilometers south of Brussels. Now it's almost part of the commuter belt but at the time of her childhood it was proper countryside. The village was called Bossu which in French means hunchback and indeed it was built on a hill a cluster of houses arranged around its church its convent and its cobbled square On the square, there was a café, simply called Café. There, on a Sunday, at 5 to 11, before Mass, in front of its front door, the man of the village, dressed in their Sunday best, mostly farmers, would meet up. With a simple movement of the chin, they would signify to their wives to go on, get into the church, they would follow shortly. And as soon as the big oak swing doors of the church would have swallowed all the women, the man would enter the café to have a jupilaire. They would appear back into the church just in time for Holy Communion. It was indeed a proper village where people said that there were more cows than inhabitants. 
But in the center of the village, there was also Anne's house, surrounded by its old garden and orchard. Anne was one of four, the third one. The garden and the entire village provided the child with endless opportunities for explorations and adventures. She knew the name of every farmer. She had played in every haystack. She had sat in every tractor and in every kitchen, each one with their different smells of strong coffees or warm raw milk or cabbage or parsley soup. She had always preferred the cows to the pigs and chicken and she had spent many hours in the cowsheds at milking time, astonished by the speed at which the milking machine shells would suck in the teats of the udder, watching the white milk make its way through the tubes in the rhythmic noise of the milking machine. But there was one type of animal that was missing in the village. Sheep. There was only one. One sheep in the entire village. He belonged to Anne's neighbor, Bobonne Germaine, as the children of the village used to call her. Bobonne in French can be translated by nanny or, or granny. It's an affectionate word, name, that country children would give to their grandmother or great-aunt. But Bobonne Germaine was no one's grandmother or great-aunt. She had never married. What was a story Anne had never known. The old face showed traces of beauty and her hair was always perfectly set in two little rolls at either side of her temples. At the grand old age of 75, maybe 80, she lived on her own in her house where she tended to her sheep and to a pristine vegetable garden, all perfectly planted in rows. And Anne got to know Baban Germain rather well, not only because she was one of her closest neighbors, but mostly because she used to graze her sheep into Anne's family orchard. Every morning and every evening, Baban Germain would walk her sheep to and back from the orchard, waddling slowly, her round body swaying from left to right, her sheep next to her on a leash, a loose cord around its neck, and the old woman's walk was in perfect unison with that of a sheep. The child would often go to see the animal during the day while it was grazing under the old Bramley tree, and she would dig her hand deep into the fleece where it was warm and oily. The sheep seemed to like it, or at least it didn't complain. Around the same time, and to remove a bit of the burden for her mother who was by now busy with four young children and a good dog, Anne's parents decided to get help in the garden and they took on a gardener. And that is how Achille came into the child's life. She cannot quite remember the very first day he came, but very quickly, Achille became one of those central figures into her life. Strangely, Anne had never come across Achille before while roaming around the village. He was maybe 75, 80 at the time, very fit and healthy, and he lived on his own in a small house under a low roof right at the bottom of the village, on the boundary, where the road starts relaxing into the flats of the ploughed fields. Very quickly, it became apparent that Achille had no interest in flowers or borders whatsoever. No, his love was vegetables. And soon, a magnificent and bountiful vegetable patch appeared in the garden, just by the orchard, under the unbothered eye of the sheep. Rows of carrots, 
leeks, potatoes, cerfeuille, patches of rhubarb with their colorful red stems, chives, tarragon. Even the net around the tennis court was used to grow French and runner beans. The man was a magician with vegetables. Was it because he loved them well and secretly whispered to them with tender encouragements? The child had often heard him. At first, she had stayed away, busying herself at some distance, with an eye on the old man at all times. And he pretended he didn't notice. And when one day he waved a vibrant carrot at her, she just couldn't resist. She sat next to him, nibbling her carrot, grains of earth crunching between her teeth, and for the first time took a good look at the old man's face. There was something utterly mischievous in his smile, which would curl up in the corner of his mouth, where a roll-up cigarette hung loosely, one that never seemed to produce smoke. But it was in his eyes that was contained all the magic, all the life of him, in the vivacious way that he moved them. There was a spark in there which seemed to light up as soon as he would look up or speak of something. And the colors, his royal blue dungarees, had the same exact hues as his gaze. A friendship was born between the old man and the child, one that was going to last for many years. She spent hours sitting in the grass, chewing on chives or tarragon, listening to Achille's rumblings while he worked, looking at the regular movements of his folk, his spade or his old hands in the good earth. And soon the child started visiting his house at the bottom of the village, and spending a lot of time there. The house was mesmerizing. Two rooms, really. One where he slept, with just an iron bed and a chest of drawers, and one where he lived. The room was dominated by a cast iron range. Next to it, a chair in which Achille sat, a wooden table with four chairs, a sink, and a very large cupboard. On the walls were the yellowing black and white photographs of Achille's three older brothers, immortalized in their great war uniforms and their youth, looking proud, oblivious to the fact that only a few months later, life was going to be taken away from their handsome bodies, and that soon, all that would be left of them would be three names engraved on the village war monument and those pictures on their little brother's wall. Often Anne would pull a chair and sit by the range, listening to the old man's stories. She would be concentrating on rolling his daily ration of cigarettes using his little aluminium rolling machine, where her little fingers would spread the tobacco into the canvas receiver, line carefully the thin paper, lick it, and close the little box hard, but not too hard, and a perfectly formed cigarette would pop out. Magic. And under the still gazes of the three immortalized brothers on the wall, Achille would tell her about his life. A quiet life, really, of a man that had always lived alone. And at night, in her bed, the eyes open in the dark, and often thought about that. It saddened her that Achille had been alone all those years. She was already an incorrigible romantic, and she spent great time wondering about Achille's loveless life. Had he never been in love? Was he too old now? Surely no one was ever too old for love. Who could she fix him with in the village, 
and she thought about Bobon Germain. She had nice hair and a bit of land where Achille could grow his cabbage alongside hers. And she had a sheep. And Achille liked that sheep. The child would often catch the man's gaze turned to it when Bobon Germain brought it to the orchard while he worked in the family's vegetable garden. She should tell him one day about Bobon Germain. But the next day, after school, she would be back in Achille's house, and she would speak of nothing, of course. She would listen. And he would tell her about his father, who had been the coal man of the village, delivering great big sacks of the black stuff on his stooped back, the four boys in tow, with smaller sacks that continuously grew larger as their shoulders did. The black dust encrusted into the useful skin of their hands and faces. He would explain to her how scarce money was in his days, how little time was left for school, how little he interacted with the others in the village. At that time, in the social order of a Belgian village, a coal man would sit at the bottom, rarely able to further himself or his offsprings. Achille didn't seem to mind. It was just the way it was. It was just what he knew and had always known. He seemed as he had never questioned that social order. And he would also tell her the names of all the 36 cats that lived in his little house. Grey cat, white cat, brown cat, or just cat. She would get up and stoke the range, brew a pot of syrupy coffee, that she would serve him in a tin mug. He'd never finished his coffee, always leaving a small amount at the bottom, the thick bit that he would throw behind him against the wall, adding to the great big stain on the yellowing wallpaper. And when he was in good mood and felt the child had done good, he would tell her to go and open the great big cupboard, where he kept a jar of sweets, all congealed together by what was probably catwee, Sweets weren't allowed in Anne's house. So with or without Catwee, it was a real treat, and her eyes would shine with glee. And it must have been one of those days. She opened the great big oak door of the cupboard, and instead of going straight to the jar, her eyes scanned the inside of the shelves with more attention than usual. And there she saw it. Barely noticeable between two tins was a black and white photograph. Anne carefully pulled it and looked at it. Laid down on the paper, staring at her, was a beautiful young woman. It was one of those old studio photographs. Sitting on a stool, her elbow on a little table, she was resting her face into her left hand, and she was looking straight at the camera. Her hair was nicely set into two little rolls either side of her temples in a way that reminded her of someone. And it suddenly came to her, Bobon Germain. Her hair reminded her of Bobon Germain. And as she stared at the photo, out of the young face on the photograph emerged another face, much older, but the expression was undeniably the same. And she turned the photograph, and there, at the back of it, there was a handwritten note. Yours, forever. The child replaced the photograph in the exact same place as where she had found it, between the tins, took a sweet, 
and came back to sit next to the range with a shield. She never asked, never spoke to him about the photograph and the handwritten message at the back, but she wondered endlessly about it. Achille and Germaine, all those years ago, neither of them married. Had life given them the chance to live their love? And in her heart of hearts, she dearly hoped so. Years passed. Anne grew up and her visit to Achille became seldom. She cannot remember the very last time she saw him. He grew older. The vegetable garden was mowed over. A new house was built in the orchard. The sheep had died a long time ago. And it must have been when Anne was away at boarding school that the news came that both Bob and Germain and Achille had passed away, only a few months apart from each other. A few years later, Anne is studying art history at university, and she's given an assignment on local architecture, researching doorways and windows in traditional Belgian farmhouse. So she picks one farm in her village well known for having survived through the years and the different historical periods of time. She doesn't know the place very well. It is lived in by a 60-year-old wealthy pig farmer, Freddy, to whom she had never been that close. He's a sunny man with a slightly porcine face, similar to that of his animals, and he loves to talk. And as she's taking her measurements and photographs, Freddy stands in his green boiler suit, chatting to her. And soon, they find themselves reminiscing about the village, the farms, its people, and their stories. He loves a good gossip, and he knows many, only too pleased to pour out the old secrets. He tells her about a road in the village that she knows well, one that the locals called the Catintro in their dialect Walloon. It is a steep road on the periphery of the village, linking one side to another. No houses there, just fields, thickets, cups of woods and mud paths leading to pastures. He laughs and asks her if she knows why it is called the Catintro. She explains that her knowledge of Walloon is non-existent and she doesn't speak it, doesn't understand it. He laughs again and tells her its meaning. Mm, and by fear of being too graphic for you, the listeners, I will just say that the words depict a place where lovers meet. And Freddy laughs again, shaking his big belly. He is desperate to tell her more. Who were the lovers and who was seen there? Names are mentioned one after the other, along with the periodicity of encounters, some fleeting, some perduring through the years. And that is when he mentions it. Achille and Germaine. Years, years, years of encounters. And as Freddy's big tummy shakes once more in his green boiler suit, as his nose curls up above his large teeth in a great laugh in light of Anne's bemused reaction, he fails to notice the young woman's expression. Had he looked properly, he would have seen utter amazement, then a smile growing slowly on her face as the enormity of the revelation dropped on her. Had he been able to read her mind, 
he would have seen an old black and white photographs of a beautiful young woman and a handwritten note and the gaze of an old man towards what she understood now. Not a sheep, but its owner. Et voilà. I hope you have enjoyed this little story. I am sure you want to know more and that you do wonder, like I did, why they had never married, why they had maintained the secrecy around their relationship all their lives. Well, obviously not great secrecy if you listen to Freddy, who I reckon was hiding behind bushes. Freddy had explained that Achille and Germaine were very much in love in the youth and that Achille had asked Germaine for her hand in marriage. She had of course said yes, but her father had said no. He wasn't going to let his daughter marry the son of a coal man, him who had an acre of land at the top of the village, not over his dead body. And as it seemed, he lived long, and Germaine and Achille just accepted that the order of things. But their love for each other never changed, immuable in its strength and beauty. They remained unmarried, both, but together, in secrecy. Right, that is it for now, but not for long. I will be back very soon. As promised, I will leave you to listen to an intro of my new podcast, Moments by the Erin Cupboard. Just switch off now if you are not interested. I wish you all a very good few weeks and until we meet again in the Erin Cupboard, goodbye. But today, my expectation is to see whales as they migrate back down. And that always endless hope that I might very soon find some bellets or porcini or penny bums or whatever. Rarely in my life I have felt such deep happiness as in this moment. Those of my children. To have them all home for six whole weeks with sleepy hair and crumpled pyjamas and lazy days. No school runs, no clubs, no clock watching, no bagpacking. Doubling back, he loops behind me once more, nose to the ground. Tail wagging, I can feel his joy buzzing in the air around us. His happiness is my happiness. You are listening to Moments by the Erin Cabot. Because the pace of life is fast, because in the mad rush of our days we sometimes forget to stop and take stock, to savor the instant and wonder. For those reasons, I have decided to harvest your voices, you, the listeners, and your moments of happiness. Contentment, pleasure, pure joy, sometimes even elation, but often just simple comfort. A fleeting second, a day, a month, a moment. <laughs>